Okay. We were just, uh, we, we, yesterday we touched on uh, propitiation, substitution, and, and reconciliation. And those things are very, very key, obviously. They're very foundational for all of us that are located in Christ. And that's the moment that we received him. God located us, placed us, put us in Christ. And we said yesterday that propitiation, first and foremost, is, is, towards, is for God the Father. It's to and for God the Father in dealing with the sin question. And that's the first part of propitiation is having that, having the Son deal with the Father, because only He could deal with the Father according to the sin question. And again, that was John 1 and verse 29 with Genesis 22 and verse 8. That's what we shared. Now, we're going to continue on that because we really, God really wants to, in all of us, in our experience, and as was prayed this morning, that propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation has every single thing to do with who we are in Christ, which is our absolute and only image, meaning we are to only identify ourselves in Christ because that is how God sees us. But this goes into a lot of issues and we talked briefly and we will uh, we will tomorrow usually we will do uh, Thursdays but uh, we're going to do Wednesday tomorrow for whosoever will can come and can make it or listen with the different things that we have to do but uh, we really want to go into that because it's very very foundational in in terms of the nature character and essence of God and if it has to do with the essence of God that's what makes it so essential for us to know him in his nature character and essence and apart from propitiation we can't know him properly we wouldn't be able to know him we wouldn't have a means whereby to know him without Christ being the substitute and in that way, none of us, and none of us could do a single thing. And that's why Jesus said in John 15, 1 to 5, that without me, you can do nothing. But the sin question, the sin question in propitiation, and we said yesterday that that, that is what is said in the, New, in the Old Testament, is atonement. And atonement is that Hebrew word kafar, <clears throat> K-A, P-H-A-R, kafar. Without a substitute for us that are now in Christ, without him, we would have never been reconciled. And that is the Greek word katalage. And again, that word for us has to do with our absolute, perfect, perfect, beautiful, finished image in Christ. This goes into so much. Propitiation, first and foremost, it goes into so much. So does substitution and reconciliation. Something that Christ did because he was propitiated, he did for 
He did for us in the most specific way, and he makes it available right up until this particular point. He makes it available for the whole world, and the world there simply means those that are not yet born again. They haven't received Christ. But even for now, it's still for them. It's still for them. And we just want to go into this morning uh, briefly in 1 John, when you look at 1 John, the first chapter, it's going into some very specific things. This, in 1 John 1, 1 to 10, if we look at verse 7, it says, but if we, the we there are all those that have received Christ as their Savior. They are located in him. Locative, in the, in the Greek, it's, it's known as the locative of sphere, meaning the sphere is the place in Christ where God has located us when we receive first and foremost that Christ himself, apart from the personal sins, actually propitiated God about the sin question because it must be God first and foremost. And when God is propitiated, then he's free to give out his son in John 3 and verse 16. God so loved the world. The world there was the mass of those that were were not yet had not yet received his son. We said yesterday and and possibly on Sunday, that the Old Testament saints, with all the sacrifices and all those things that were the types of Christ, they looked forward to Christ and what he would eventually come in the perfection of God's time, his timing and his provision, which is revealed in Galatians 4 and verse 4, that their faith looked forward and that whole time that God was passing over, passing over, and we read in John 3, 24, uh, 23, 24, and 25 to understand those, that principle, that they were looking forward to the cross. And we, it, now that the work is finished in John 19 and verse 30, where Christ actually came and did all of that, we look back and we see, first and foremost, it's most important for us to understand that we don't, again, when we, as, as his ambassadors, and every one of us are his ambassadors because we have Christ in us, and, and Colossians 1 and verse 27, the hope of glory. He's the treasure that's in us, and our weak, frail, uh, these weak, frail jars, these vessels of the, uh, our humanity that, that we have, but Christ is the treasure in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So God... It, through Christ being in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, is beseeching others, is beseeching him. Say, listen, he's been propitiated. He's been, God has been propitiated. He, you're, you're now free, you're now free to receive the fact that God is propitiated through Jesus Christ. And that you can receive him now as your Savior and have your sins dealt with, your old nature crucified and Romans 6, 1 to 6, and then have all your sins dealt with. So first and foremost, propitiation is absolutely to the Father. It's to him, first and foremost, the sin questions. First thing that Christ was accomplishing on Calvary was he was propitiating the Father. We said in the last couple of of, uh, days that in Genesis 22 and verse 8, 
it says it and it makes it very clear there in the type abraham is the type of the father isaac is the type of jesus christ the son where he said <clears throat> in response to his son isaac's question where is the lamb where is the sacrificial uh, victim and he said my son god will provide himself a sacrifice a propitiation an atonement because that's really what it's saying in those Hebrew words. Now, this is most important for us to understand this, for, especially for Christians to be proper uh, witnesses and actually even to function properly in their own image. And we're going to get into some of these things. We mentioned Arminianism and Calvinism and how it was brought out <clears throat> through the teaching of these, these men and, and false teaching and very false and not true, where Arminius, he, they, would just, they would just look at propitiation and completely miss an, un, miss an understanding substitution. What they would do, what they would do is they would fuse and mix propitiation substitution as one thing. That's what they would do. Calvin, on the other hand, left out propitiation and just brought in substitution. And we're going to go, and we'll be able to understand that uh, in the next few days, in the next few weeks. We will be able to understand it very clearly and, and concisely. We can. But this morning, we want to bring out, and the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures wants to bring out to us this morning the reality of what is ours. So in First John, the first chapter, in verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. In other words, God has given us our brand new nature. We have brand new character. You see, character is who I truly am. Reputation is what others see me and say I am. But character is who I am in my own individual image in Christ. That's what that is. And so here again, it's never teaching in 1 John 1, 7. It doesn't teach behavior or conduct, ever. What it's teaching is this is our character. And when we walk, and only when we walk in our character and who we are in Christ, there we have fellowship. And that's 1 John 1 and verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you, may, you also may have fellowship with us and truly, truthfully, and in truth, grace and truth, our fellowship is what? Is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So this is what this is bringing out. But what is most important in the flow of the Scriptures, we must remember, even in the original Koine Greek New Testament, as best as we can, and men have, have, have done so much in getting the, mini, the minuscules and the majuscules and, and all the manuscripts and all these different things that God has preserved and given us just enough so that we can have tremendous truth. This is what is brought out here, that we have this tremendous character. Okay? And none of us can say in 1 John 1.8, that we have no sin. And no sin there is none of us can say that we don't have a sin nature. Boy, would that do away with the nonsense of one-naturism or what is known 
as falsely the exchange life. Yeah, we have the exchange life. We do. Where we no longer have to function in the flesh in Romans 8, 9. That's still in us. But we are of Christ. Again, that's why through these through these times that we have the word, we're always going to stress these words in and of because they're very important in the context of where they're located. You see in Romans 8, 9, the flesh is in us still. Okay? Some teach, some teach that when we receive Christ, that completely the old nature, that the flesh was completely and utterly done away with. Well, if it was, then why is that said and, and why is the experience of what many of us have to experience, why is Romans 7 there? Why does it say in Romans 8, verse 9, the flesh is in us, but we're not of it? Why does it say that? Because that's the truth of the matter, the truth. But when it says here in 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin nature, what do we do? We deceive ourselves. We function under the deception in Revelations 12, 9, of Satan. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, no born-again Christian can say that apart from being deceived. And then you, when it says the truth is not in us, if they were born again, and if others are taught wrong that, that we no longer have a sin nature, then, what is, then is the truth in us experientially? If that is not true, and it wouldn't be. Now, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, okay, and this is the, this is the third class condition of the word if, and just to bring up again, in English, there's only, if just means we, it may, it may or may not be. We may or may not be. But in the Greek construction and language, there are four classifications for that one word, if. It's the first class, if and we are. Second class, if and we are not. Third class, if and it, we may or may not be. Fourth class, it's, it's possible are probable, but not likely. <laughs> Those are the four. So when we interpret the scriptures, which is really not through translations, and, and I'm all for translations as much as truth could be in them, and, and is, and I am all for godly devotionals that teach the nature, character, and essence of God, but that's just not enough. It's not enough. Without understanding the Greek New Testament, and, and thankfully that God the Holy Spirit can take those things and show it unto us. Now, if we confess our sins, we may and may not, but if we do, what is he? He is faithfulness and he's just, meaning his justice has been dealt with. He's been propitiated. God has been propitiated. Because God is not just love only. There's a lot of teaching out there Oh, God is love. Yes, he is, but he's also just. He's a God of justice, meaning his love, the love that he has and he is, the love that he is and has, is wholly pure and just. No question about that. But he's faithful and just to forgive us. Who? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if Jesus Christ had truly paid for the sins of the whole world, 
wouldn't the whole world be saved? Well, if he did that, if he did that, well, it makes it clear in 1 John 1, 9, the us there are those that are located in Christ. Those that are born again and located in Christ. Now, verse 10 says, if we say that we haven't sinned, if we say that we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And that's, in one sense, the Greek brings it out, that that is, it's almost a worse thing to say. Now that we're in Christ, we don't ever sin. Some teach sinless perfection. What is known as sinless perfection. We don't sin anymore. It's not us. <laughs> it's not us. It's the devil that's doing that. It's no longer us. Why? Well, because some teach you don't have a sin nature anymore. That's one naturism. You only, you only have one nature now. Okay. Yes, we only have one true nature, and that's Christ. Now, Here's where this flows, and it flows right into it. It's not really broken up in the Koine Greek New Testament. It's not. Because when it says, my little children, you see the my? It says, my little children. Do we see that? Are all human beings the children of God? Well, the Bible says in John 8, verse 44, Jesus said himself, you are of your father, the devil. So, are all human beings the children of God? If Christ had paid for all their sins, all of them, then wouldn't they all be his children? Well, it makes it clear in John 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority, the power to become the sons of God. And it says, even to them that believe in his name. Do all believe in Christ? Do all believe that he's God? No. Not all do. And that's why it says, my little children, these things I write unto you that you may not sin. Meaning, again, it's, we've been taught, we don't have to sin. None of us do. We choose to do it. That's what, why we have said this has to do with the will. Two things have to do with the will. Love and sin. It's our option constantly. And our whole thought life, our whole thought life is divided with those two things. Love and sin. So that even if someone, if I am in Christ and I'm thinking with him and I have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16 and Philippians 2 and verse 5, that even when others sin against me, can I still function in love? Because <laughs> which is greater? Which is greater? And again, it makes it very, very, very uh, foundational, these truths. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God in John 1, 12. Even to them that would believe on his name. And when it says name there in John 1, 12, name is revealing the very person of Jesus Christ and the work that he alone has accomplished in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. So when it says, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. We do not have to sin. And, in one sense, we should 
we should obey God and return his love, but we, do we always do that? No. No, we don't always do that because of the will. Of the will not being submitted. So when our wills are not submitted to God through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we function in our own will, which is always open to Satan. Fact of the matter is, it says that you do not have to sin. And it's almost, when we read it, it's almost like a shock that, my gosh, you would? You mean you have all of this in First John, the first chapter, you have all of that? And my gosh, you would still sin. And unfortunately, we all do. We all do. My little children, these things write I unto you to show you that you do not have to sin and that you can constantly submit your will. You know why? Because God has been propitiated. But even more than that, your, all your sins are dealt with and never to be brought up again, ever. And then it says, and if any man sin, <laughs> and who's any man in this context? It's a believer. If any man sin, not the whole world, they don't have Christ as, as their advocate. They don't have Christ interceding for them. We do. That's for those that are his. In Romans 8 and verse 34, he intercedes. In Hebrews 7 verse 25. And in Hebrews 9 verse 24, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Even in Jesus' high priestly prayer, the Lord's Prayer, in John 17 and verse 9, he says, I don't pray for the world. He prays for us, that we function in the oneness that he is in us, in our proper image. And when we function in our proper image, we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And when I have that fellowship with the Father and the Son, I have fellowship with others. This is what this is bringing out. Now, if any man sin, it says we. Does it say all? <laughs> the context. We have an advocate with the Father. Who is that? Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous one. And he's made us righteous. And in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, he is our righteousness. He. He's our righteousness. And so when it says this, and then it goes on and it says in, in, in the second verse in, in 1 John 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins. So first the Father has to be propitiated. Now that he is, then it's a secondary thing that happens. He's our propitiation because first and foremost, the Father was propitiated about the sin question. Because if that hadn't been dealt with, no one would have, no one could have been. If no one had received Christ, still the Father would have been propitiated about the whole sin question. Because that was between the Father and the Son, period. We didn't have any place in that. The only place we did have on the cross, and that's why we don't glory in anything but the cross in Galatians 6 and verse 14, was our sins were put there. Whose sins? This is where we get here. And he is the propitiation for who? Our sins. This is the context. Our sins. Not the sins of the whole world. But also, but, and not for ours only, right? But also, and where you see this, and this is critical, also 
what, what is added here, also for, and this is what's added, the sins of the whole world. It's not in the original. That's why it's italicized in the King James. And we've said before, this is known as an interpolation. An interpolation is something that was put there that doesn't belong there in translations. Or it was put there for a lack of something better. This is, it does not belong there. Jesus never did that. He never ever paid for the sins of the whole world. But in propitiation, he made it available for those to choose him as Savior. And this is what is brought out, and we're going to get into this in a much deeper way throughout the week and, and possibly into next week. But this is what brings out the teaching of the two goats in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. It's expressing two things that, that Christ did. He fulfilled both. He was the fulfillment of both. The Lord's lot, God's lot, which was the sin question in propitiation. And then for the people, the people's lot is where all the personal sins were confessed. That even goes back to Leviticus, the first chapter in the fourth verse. No one can do that. We cannot do that for each other. There's no priest that can do that. There's only one high priest in Hebrews 3 and verse 1 and Hebrews 4 and verses 14 to 16. There's only Jesus Christ. He's the only go-between. Not another man, not another person, not another priest. Never. And this is what is so clear and concise in the scriptures where it is available for also what? He also was propitiated, not just for us and about our sins, but he was propitiated in the sense that now we can go out and say, God has been propitiated. And because of that, you can choose him right now and believe that Jesus himself propitiated the Father. And you can receive him. I can, yes. And I have something else to tell you. What's that? That all your sins... Every single one of them are completely gone and dealt with. And what a truth that we have here. But also for the world. For the world. See, access to God is only by a perfect sacrifice. And that was Christ. That's the types that were brought out. We said in the last few days in Exodus 12, 1 to 13. In Numbers 19. 1 and 2, specifically the second verse in Numbers 19, bringing out the reality of what Christ and the type accomplished in Numbers 23, 19 to 23. It is a work that Christ was going to come in the future and deal with, and that's why God could pass over. Passover, you see Passover? That's Exodus 12 and verse 13. Uh, but for us, but for us, Christ is our Passover in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. He is already our Passover. He's not yet for all those that have not received him and received. But we must believe, we must believe that God the Father has been propitiated by Jesus Christ the Son. So what happens, and this is what is brought out in this here in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, but also also, all through the epistle to the Hebrews. And there's access to God. 
that's been done by a perfect sacrifice. It is known as the blood of the cross. That's Colossians 1 and verse 20. We've been bought back and redeemed through the blood of his cross. Remember what we said, because there's a lot of teaching out there, there's bad teaching, that Jesus Christ's blood was no different than ours. And of course it was, because the sin nature was passed on through the blood where the 23 reproductive chromosome genes of the male sperm are passed on. That's where you get it. You get it from blood. And he was the spotless lamb. We know that in crystal clear, again, even in the type of the heifer there in Numbers 19 and verse 2, also in Exodus 12, 1 to 13. This is what is brought out. But we have been... But there has to be a victim, there has to be a death, and there has to be bloodshed. We said that in Hebrews 9.22. That's what it says. Without the shedding of blood and giving and receiving it as already having been done, it says there is no remission, no passing over. That's the Greek. No passing over of sins. Because first and foremost, if you don't believe that the sin question has been dealt with, as God said it was in Genesis 22 and verse 8, God will provide himself a sacrifice. The first lot in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, was the Lord's lot, propitiation first. Then, with that being said and that being dealt with, now we can have, through receiving Christ as the substitute, we can be reconciled because our sins are dealt with. Because if I, because sins keep me from fellowshipping with God. Now, it's not that they haven't been dealt with, because they have been with us. But I can go back and function in them. Is that even my true identity? Is that even truly who I am anymore? No, Romans 7.17 and Romans 7.20, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Where does sin dwell in? It dwells in the flesh. But isn't the flesh dealt with as far as God's concerned and as far as our faith dependence in him is concerned? And it is. It is dealt with. And so we have entrance into the holies because Jesus Christ is our great high priest over the house of God. He's the forerunner. This is in the book of Hebrews, the epistle of the Hebrews. He's our forerunner. And this is going into Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And it goes right from verse 1 to verse 4. We can see it crystal clear. He's our forerunner. He's the author and finisher. He's our forerunner. He's our file leader. That's who he is. He leads us into fellowship by the power of the Holy Spirit based upon our brand new nature and our sins having been dealt with. But I can still function in what's already been dealt with sins. I can function in mental attitude sins. I can hold things. We can hold things against each other. We can. And the moment that we do that, the moment that we do that, are we functioning in fellowship with God? Boy, we lose the sensitivity and the beauty of communing with Him. This is what makes it so necessary, again, so very, very, very necessary, again, to have all of these things dealt with. It's so very necessary so that we as individuals can fellowship. And then we can fellowship with others. Because if I don't have fellowship with Christ in my own individuality, can I have fellowship with another believer? And if I can't, then what is it? What am I functioning in? The flesh. And is that who I am? 
may be in me, and it is in Romans 8 9. It won't be gone until we die and go to see him. <laughs> but for now, he uses it in terms of humility and dependence. He constantly uses it. You see, we can never blame. We can never blame one another. If this person hadn't said this thing, if they hadn't treated me this way, I never would react that way. Well, again, we have to realize the scriptures in Matthew, the 15th chapter, and verses 16 to 20, and Mark, the 7th chapter, and, and we can look right from 13 to 23, right in Mark. It is not that that goes into a man that defiles a man, meaning it's not how someone, what they say or what they do to me that makes me come out in a negative and, and bad way. It's that God would use that to bring out those areas that, that are still we still live in and still go back to. So even what the enemy may mean for evil, what does God mean it for? He means it for our good. He means it for our good. In Romans 8, 28, it's his good that he's invested in us. It's his good. So the forerunner is gone in for us so that you and I may enter what? Boldly. You know, when I function in Christ, when I function in him, I'm very bold. Not in the flesh, but in humility and grace. Not in the flesh. Here it is again. Here it is. We have this priest. So when we're tempted, and this all has to do with propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation, we have all of these things available to us. That when I am tempted to sin, when I'm tempted to sin, I have a great high priest who's above every temptation, above every wrong, above every misunderstanding, above all these things. I have a great high priest. We all do. We have a great high priest who's above everything. And dealt with everything. And our position is in him. And that's what Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16 is, is bringing out. That when we're tempted, and even in Hebrews 2, 18, he's able to succor or draw us to himself. And a greater experience of his loving protection over us. And we can lose the experience. We'll never lose the position of it, but we can lose the experience of it. So his priesthood is to, to literally to draw us to himself when we're tempted because he's, he knows, he sympathizes, he understands our infirmities, our weaknesses. And when we run to him, he gives us mercy. And what that means when we've been taught here is mercy. When we run to him, he doesn't add to us what doesn't belong to us. <laughs> it's beautiful. He does not add to us. What doesn't belong to us? Because whatever the evil was, Christ dealt with it. See the freedom that we have. And then when we don't, when we function in what doesn't belong to us because it was subtracted for us, from us and added to Jesus Christ on Calvary in our place. And remember again, God had to be propitiated first. And when he was, then he could be our substitute. It's not the person. We don't substitute Jesus Christ for what anyone ever does to us. We don't do that because when we do, the only place we can go back to is the flesh. Then you have the flesh battling the flesh. And then you end up going the wrong way up the one-way street. Here's what we have. We have that. He knows 
uh, what, what the enemy is going to tempt us with. He knows our weaknesses, our frailties. He knows every ignorance that we have. He doesn't hold th- those things against us. He doesn't. He deals with us lovingly. But when we don't function, don't allow the enemy to add things onto us that were already added onto Christ because mercy is you and I not receiving the things that we deserve to get. And when I run to him, that's what I get. But it doesn't stop there. Then he gives me grace. So what the enemy would mean for evil to add to us things that aren't who we are and who we are of, then when that, we don't allow that to happen by running to him instantly, <laughs> instantly, not holding grudges or not forgiving and making those the topic of conversation, but what we can do is run to him immediately and not allowing the enemy to add to us what was added on Christ. And, and so and then what happens? We get grace. And what is grace? God's going to add to me things that I don't deserve to get. These a wonderful, incredible experience, a new experience of the intimacy of his love when the enemy means evil. And we can at times. We all do. We're all weak. We're all frail. We, we all are. We can misunderstand each other. We can ignorantly hurt each other. We can do all those things. But one thing that we all have in common to keep love flowing, and love only flows in fellowship. It's the only time it flows because it always flows through grace. We've said before that God has, and, and this is part of Christ's intercession, by the way, where he, in his love, anticipates, knows beforehand everything about us. Everything that we're going to do, everything the atmosphere is going to do, every single thing that he already knows. That's his anticipative love. And he functions in grace even before it's reached our will and that's pervenient grace where our will hasn't even been yet submitted but we have the opportunity to do it instantly. And that keeps us free from the law of condemnation. The law will always, the enemy will always use the law to condemn me when I don't function in forgiveness. It becomes a device of the enemy to separate in 1 Corinthians 2, 11. But here again, God himself, Jesus Christ, appears in the presence of God, faces him with us in him. He faces, he faces the Father with us in him. He appears before the face of God because he's for us. And then what does he do? He cheers us up. He cheers us up. He strengthens us against all the trials of this wilderness that we're in. And in our weakness, He strengthens us. And whatever we're exposed to in this world, this wilderness worldly system, that can be our greatest opportunity. Because what the enemy means for evil can be the height of the greatness of what God has to show us how He's so for us. And by the way, if He can show me that He's for me, then I can show others that I in Christ and me and me in Christ are for them. Are for them. And so here it is, right here and here alone, where Jesus in his office as priest above, where he is in intercession, it's, a, it's about dealing with our sins. Here it is that his advocacy is expressed greatly. And who's he the advocate for? 
those that have their sins dealt with because the Father's been propitiated. He's the substitute. We have a substitute. We have this substitute. And he is there. He is there. We have that advocate with the Father, Jesus. The same one that propitiated the Father. The same one that already dealt with all of our sins is right now our advocate. Isn't that awesome? He's our advocate. But in a different function. And what is that? Now the function is to restore us to what sin has interrupted us from having this fellowship in 1 John 1, 3 with the Father and with His Son. See, sin interrupts that. It can be a mental attitude sin. It may not even be put into action. It's just a thought. And in Proverbs 24 and verse 9, the thought of foolishness, and foolishness is me relying on my own understanding and relying on the flesh. The thought of foolishness in Proverbs 24 verse 9 is what? It's called sin. When I know to do good, when I know to do good, and, and a lot of times in relationships that has to do with forgiveness. When I know to do good and do it not, what is it? Gosh. For, and in James 4 and verse 7, to forgive. Here it is. Here it is this morning here as we begin to wrap this up. The advocate here in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, the advocate here is Jesus Christ the righteous. That is extremely significant. Very, very foundational and very, very important because there's a double ground here. There's something that God is teaching us here. First, is this, that this advocacy is founded upon Jesus Christ being the righteous one. Do, am I righteous apart from him? Will I function in righteousness toward another believer if I don't function in him and I'm not submitted to him? No, I won't. None of us could. None of us would. He is, he is the propitiation First, the advocacy, again, is found upon the fact that Jesus Christ is the righteousness. He's the righteous one. You and I had no righteousness. None of us did. We don't have any righteousness. So then when, when we fail, when I fail, do I have a right to go to God apart from Christ? Should I treat myself apart from Christ? And should I treat others apart from them, even when they fail? Because we're going to do that with each other. We're going to fail. But his love in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 never fails. Now, this advoc advocacy is found upon him being the righteous one, the only one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3, verse 23. Now, has all of that been dealt with as far as, Christ, as far as God is concerned through Jesus Christ? And that's realized by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the, the, the Holy Spirit has no power apart from us being submitted, our will being submitted. Then he's able to take the things of Christ and show them unto us. But when I resist him through functioning in the flesh, through functioning in thoughts that are not his, for any of us, then we limit him. We limit him. And then he becomes grieved. Because in our, in our thought life, it's, it, our thought life is a communication that God hears when, no one, when we don't even express it verbally. That's why it says, again, in, in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, to give no place to the devil in our thinking. Don't give him place. Give no place to the devil. And let him that lies 
Don't lie anymore. Steal a lie. See, because the enemy in John 10, 10a has come and stolen us away from thoughts that are only of God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now he's stealing and killing and destroying us in our capacity, in our experience, in our thought life. That's what he's doing there. But here we have this. We have this advocacy. That's one right away. Even he knows right when the enemy is going to tempt us, long before we even do. His love anticipates it. And his grace goes actively in his interpretation, his in, in, in intercess, interceding for us right away. Even before our will has met it. That's why it's important, the submission of the will. So, he's the righteous one. And from God, he's made to us not only wisdom, but righteousness. Sanctification and redemption in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. But secondly, and just still one with it, but secondly, and here's the double aspect, the second part, he is the propitiation for our sins and our sins alone. No one else. No one else. He's a propitiation for our sins. Whose? For our sins. And sent by God the Father, God sent him for this very end. What is it? Are all our sins been dealt with? Are they ended in Christ? Are they? Do we actually believe that? So that when we fail God, do we actually believe do we believe and confess that and have godly sorrow, but confess it in 1 John 1, 9 with 2 Corinthians 7, 10? Then we get right back and we can get right back into communion with the Father. Now, sometimes it can take longer because of a lack of, a truth, lack of truth, lack of proper teaching, or a lack of submitting to what we know to be true and still resisting it. But we resist God in these things. We don't resist one another. We resist God first. Because if, it, if it's believers in Christ, then the resistance is, is Christ in them. We resist God and Christ in them. Can you imagine if God ever held us on probation until we dealt with every single thing that needed to be dealt with, then he, he would set us free. But are we already free in him? We already are. We already are. We have this advocate. He bore all that was necessary to expiate, to do away with our sins. And this was in the divine judgment once. Even in Hebrews 10.10, it says, and what? He did it once. Once. He did it once. He made it available for all, but only those that would receive the fact of the Father being propitiated by the Son and then realizing and being so thankful that in that he became the propitiation for them as a substitute, having the sins dealt with that they could be reconciled now back to God. And that's, what we const- that's why we constantly confess our sins. We constantly confess them. Because when we do, we function properly in our experience based upon where we're located. Again, we'll close with this. Give no place to the devil, Ephesians 4. Be angry, it says. It says in Ephesians 4 and verse 26. It says, be angry. And what? And sin not. Godly anger has nothing to do with our sin nature. Nothing to do with lifting ourselves up. Nothing. 
Be angry and sin not. Because if we do, we give place to the devil, topos. We give him a place in our experience. He can't touch our position. Even our sins don't, or anyone else's don't, that are in Christ, obviously. And give no, <clears throat> no place to the devil, because then we give place to lies, Ephesians 4.28. How? We allow the enemy, who's the, the father of all lies, in John 8, verse 44, he's the father of all lies, to get into our experience to get into our experience. And when that happens, that's Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, if I feel like I've been offended or hurt, I should immediately go to God. Because if not, then if I don't, then ultimately what I'm thinking, I'm going to start confessing to someone else. And that, instead of confessing it to God and being free, I start confessing it to one another. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What are words? What is communication? It's a thought life. Words are a vehicle for a thought life. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. When you're hurt, you don't, when we are, and we all can do that, ignorantly and foolishly and all kinds of ways. The minute that I get hurt, who should I run to? Who should I express it to? And only who? God. Because if I try to express it to someone else, I'm trying to make them to be something that they're not. I replace Christ with them. And they allow them now to build me up when I haven't even dealt with areas of the flesh. This is true for all of us. And I use them as a source of comfort. Let no corrupt communication for any of us Proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Because if we don't, if we don't do that, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit grieved in Ephesians 4 and verse 30? Because he can no longer take the things of Christ in our experience based upon our position, and this is propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. He can no longer show us what love has accomplished about us so that we can function properly in our image. Instead, we form these little groups and make them the source of comfort when Christ is the comforter. We don't use others to comfort us. We become comforters through being comforted by God. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-6. to 6. It makes it crystal clear. He wants to make us comforters. He doesn't want to comfort us in the flesh. He doesn't want us to use others to comfort us in fleshly thinking. No. That's not what he's given those that mean the most to us for. No. He's not done that for any of us. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers. Is what I ministered, was it gracious? Was it? Listen, if I don't experience through a submitted will and function in who, in who I know I am in Christ, do you think someone else can do that for me? We can't. We can't do it. And that's why, again, again, when we have issues, and again, in any relationship, in any relationship, there's going to be a need for forgiveness. There's going to be that need. 
Those, just think of it, those that mean the most to you, the most, and they can comfort you in Christ, but they'll turn you right back to him. Even those, even those that mean the very most to you, has there been a need for forgiveness? Hasn't there been failure? Has there been? But now they're a source of comfort to you, right? Are they pointing you to Christ? Are they helping you and I, and we, and are they helping you to wallow in thoughts that aren't of God? And sometimes he disciplines us. And sometimes he shakes us. He does. But if he shakes us, if he allows things to, to, to shake us, and we know that based upon Hebrews 12, look at those 29 verses in Hebrews 12. Look at it. It all starts with looking away from all that would distract. Not carrying weights, but being submitted through a yoke. Look at it how it is. Look at how that flows. How it flows. If he shakes us, even what the enemy means for evil, God means for good, does he not? In Genesis 50 verse 20. So it's going to shake me because I'm relying on something that can be shaken. And he wants to remove those so that we only build up ourselves on the foundation of who we are positioned in Christ. Again, this is propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. We have so much to be thankful for in these last couple of minutes. We have this advocate and he meets the Christian sin that interrupts his enjoyment of that communion and fellowship with the Father. He does that for each of us. That's a thought life. And long before it goes into action, it was a thought life. It was a thought life. And that's why we need to go to him and him alone and him alone. And then if there's a need to go to others, then we do that privately and with them alone. We don't confess it to someone else and think that's called fellowship and think that's a source of comfort. I tell you, it's not. It wouldn't be for me. It wouldn't be for you. But God is for us, and that's who we face. We don't have to face a single thing without him. He doesn't leave us or forsake us in Hebrews 13.5. He is the one that restores us instantly. His suffering that once in divine judgment, all of what would affect us has been dealt with on the cross and finished. And everything now has to do with restoring us in a continual way to communion with the Father and the Son, which when it's interrupted can be easily done. It's so easy. You know, the easiest thing I know in my life, the easiest thing in my life is to forget God. And the moment that I do, I forget that I've been forgiven of everything. And then I forget others. The moment my mind turns away from Christ and turns to myself, now it's me and not others in anything. Instantly, instantly, instantly. We, we become, we become in this way, we become that joint that supplies. All based upon propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. And no one can, no one can be substituted for Christ. No one. No one. He understands us far more than the closest person to us. He sees it far better than anyone. And we need to run to him. Because when we do, when we run to him for ourselves, 
when we come out from that place, we can cause others to run to him. We can. And Father, thank you so much for the truth of this word. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.